This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Hello there. Good morning to you. It is time for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jay White. I'm here with Jeremy Thompson this morning. He's the Hattiesburg Computer Doctor. And it is our fall 2022 drive time on MPB Think Radio. We're uh, hoping you will support MPB Think Radio for things you get like perspective on topics that you don't normally get from a Mississippi perspective for Mississippians by Mississippians. Specifically on this show, consumer technology. And it turns out that uh, in a place with a ton of rural area and not much high-speed internet, it turns out to be sometimes a, a pretty important topic. So we would love your support today. Without further ado, there's plenty to get into, as always. Uh, Jeremy, good morning. What's been going on, man? How are you? Hey, good morning, Jay. I've been doing pretty good, man. Staying busy as usual. Um, had a couple of uh, cool things that I wanted to uh, talk about today. Um, first off, we've talked at great length about how we have been harassed by the uh, text message spam on our phones, and there's at least one app developer out there that's trying to do something about it. I use a little app for Android called Textra, mm-hmm. and yesterday I got a notification uh, telling me that there was an upgrade. So every time the app uh, upgrades, the little Textra bot will send you a message telling you like what the new features are. And usually I couldn't care less about what it shows. But yesterday it said, uh, spam is so annoying because you get a noisy notification and block listing spam numbers doesn't work because spammers just keep changing the number they send from. And I was like, okay, you're speaking my language. Yeah. So Textra has a new setting to make notifications for messages from unknown contacts silent. Or you can just turn off notifications altogether. So they'll still be in your inbox, but they won't notify you that you've been texted by any number that's unknown, not in your contacts. So that is pretty cool. Definitely a step in the right direction. And I want to see more vendors that are doing something like that. That's uh, interesting. I like that it's an option because I think some people want to know the shade that's being thrown at them. But I think like right. you, I would rather I would rather just exist in a world where I never knew it ever happened. Well, I wish I had it on my old number because before I changed my number, I was getting, I don't know, five or six a day. Sometimes I'll just fire that phone up just to look and like, you know, find an old message or something. And I have to scroll through so much garbage spam on it. I'm just like, yeah, wait, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But nobody has my new number. So for now, the, uh. the secret is. So uh, I wanted to talk to you uh, about uh, something I dealt with just last night. Hey, by the way, before uh, you move off from that real fast, I was a Textra user when I uh, had a Samsung phone, and I really liked that app and its purpose. Well, I'm a fan. Yeah, I've been using it for several years. Um, what, what I loved about it was that, uh, you know, your friends that have the Apple stuff, right, and they got the, they got the MacBook, and they got the iPad, and they got everything else, and they can, they can text everyone from everywhere, phone optional, and you're like, right. that's really cool. I wish I could do that. Well, when I was a Textra subscriber, that was what Textra was for me. It, was, uh, it, was, it added web-based texting from your number oh, okay. on the Android. I've never 
Um, I have just briefly connected my phone to Windows through the, you know, connect to Windows. At least it, that's linked to Windows. That's what it says in my uh, Samsung. Um, it was okay. I just feel like it probably runs the battery down faster. And, you know, I don't need to be notified of every little text message on every device. Sure. So yeah. I, I like the degree of separation between them. All right. So, so let me ask you about, uh, I mean, there's there's a couple of big stories. One happened just after we got off the radio last week. And that's that Google is shuttering Stadia, their cloud gaming uh, platform. The other is that, uh, and this is the big tech story in the world, it's kind of one of the biggest stories in the news cycle over the last 24 hours or so, outside of uh, Russia and the normal stuff, um, Elon Musk has made another, he's, he's re-upped one more again to have some Twitter for everybody, and oh uh, it's still really wonky. Uh, basically, I guess he re-offered his first offer and said, okay, that, that'll count again if you want. And again, there's just weird posturing between everybody. I don't understand. Uh, it it's it's. <laughs> I don't know why it's this big of a deal. It's Twitter, you know. And he's it's what is he offering? Fifty four million dollars. That's Tuesday for him, right? So uh, fifty four billion. Excuse me, not million. <laughs> That's just Tuesday for me. The million. That's but like uh, a quarter of his personal worth. Yeah. As far as you know, the public knows. Yeah. Well, that's a good point right there as far as the public knows. But uh, yeah, man, that's uh, what do you think about that? Uh, or, or which, Let me ask, which one would you like to tackle first? Stadia uh, or Elon and yeah. Twitter's romance? Yeah, I'm so sick of talking about Elon Musk, man. Like, I don't want to give that any more airtime. Right. Uh, the Stadia thing. Do you all remember a couple of years ago when I tried it? Uh, I had a uh, I was sent a Chromecast with the stadia package i think it was free yeah they said it was like it's like 100 bucks they sent me a controller and a chromecast ultra or whatever i can't even remember what it was called pro something remember that? like we, that whatever we that talked was. about it on the show yeah. the next week yeah yeah and i thought it was cool but it was sort of lackluster just because um the amount of uh data that it consumes especially if you're streaming in 4k which is well just kind of silly in my opinion but um, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to, you know, kill the company, but, you know, I take responsibility for, for getting up there and telling everybody that it, that it was sort of lackluster. Um, I can't, of course, <laughs> but, um, I will say that I think that this is a, a bad idea and I know that there's, you know, a bunch of numbers behind it where they're just not making the mark. But with the advent of the Steam Deck, and Logitech's got one that's coming out this month. I can't remember what it's called. I'll look it up in a second here. Um, with devices like those becoming more prevalent, putting streaming gaming in the hands of people instead of just like streaming it to a TV, uh, that's a different story. That's a, that's a horse of a different color, we'll say. And um, I, I think that there is a future there. But Google was so far ahead of it with Stadia that they could not wait it out or stay yeah. long enough Pun intended. To, uh, right. to see the technology reach its apex, which I think we're still on the brink of. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think it can be 
uh, a delivery method that can be wildly successful. But it seems like, and I don't, this is just me kind of you know, paintballing here or spitballing, whatever you want to say. It's, I, I think they were, they had the idea and they had the capital to build the infrastructure for it. And they got to all that first. And I think they wanted to do that Google thing where they just, they closed down a marketplace before it could even get built because, you know, they have all the technology and, and they can promote it and they can take the losses on the infrastructure on, on you know, at least for so long they can <laughs> on the, the buildup. But I think they were so early to the game and they were trying so hard to get out in front of everybody. And I was talking uh, with, you know, Charles, who's been our intern for uh, the summer and the fall. And it's it's like when they went to the marketplace with this thing, it had about like three and a half games. And that's it's the technology is awesome. When you, when you see the video, the spec videos and you you hear about what their plans are and what it can do, it sounds amazing. But, you know, when it launches and you you pay the down payment for the whole thing and then, you know, you've got a monthly fee and you got to pay for this remote and all on top of that. And then at launch, you've got like Galaga and Pac-Man and like Frogger and like, I don't know, half of uh, Pong or something like that was basically like the entire game library when it launched. I'm joking, of course, but it was it was pretty dry to begin with. And they had to ask people who were excited about this to be very patient for a long, long time, longer than most people were willing, especially for the point that you made where you've got a Steam Deck, which I think was... An, an unintended competitor, like something they didn't see coming that you said kind of takes the technology of Stadia and turns it on its ear because you take uh, you take the technology of it and you make it handheld, which just blows what Google Stadia was trying to do out of the water before it could even get going. So Xbox Cloud Gaming, which is still around yeah. and not shuttering doors, uh, was released in November of 2019. And uh, I didn't even know it. It must have come as a whisper. Uh, you know, I'm not always big into gaming, but I have my uh, my bouts throughout the year. And <laughs> I uh, I was very interested when I got my Steam Deck to see, like, hey, can I hook up Xbox Game Pass on this? And the answer is no, but you can do Xbox Cloud Gaming. And so I went through and set that up, and it runs pretty great. And if you've got a device that doesn't have a lot of storage and your only option is to stream stuff like this Logi thing that's coming and the uh, the stream, the Steam Deck, if you have limited storage, then you have to stream games. So there's definite, definite potential there. And I played a game through it the other day and I, I had a great time. It looked great. Um, it ran great. It was very responsive. And I think that uh, Stadia's biggest issue was that their uh, their premium titles still cost in addition to the monthly membership. Yeah. And when you hit people with something like that, they kind of feel ripped off. And that's how I felt because I was like, well, I mean, I like what you're offering here. The games are okay, um, but you don't have any like A-rated titles up here. And if you do, you have to pay extra for them, which just feels weird for some reason. So then uh, you go to Xbox Cloud Gaming, where you have a massive list of titles. And if everybody remembers last year around this time, was it, wait, was it last year it was around this time? Uh, when uh, we were talking about uh, Microsoft acquiring Activision, yeah. 
just imagine how big and how awesome that gaming library is about to get. And how far back it goes. Oh, man. I can't wait. I mean, it basically goes back to the beginning of gaming. We're talking yeah. about Activision. That's current. Yeah. That's a, yeah. It's a big catalog. Well, this is a pretty incredible story. And it made me think, uh, you're kind of what you were talking about right there. And, and I kind of put the... Uh, the blame of this more on Google, but, but hearing you talk through that scenario a minute ago, it made me think that probably what Google was not able to do, or or probably the Achilles heel of Stadia will be Google's ability to convince uh, studios to produce games for Stadia. And, and that's, you know, that, that had a lot to do with the fact that the library never really ever got off the ground. And you're talking about, uh, you know, the, the Xbox cloud gaming. I mean, they're tied in with Microsoft and all of that stuff. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a slam dunk and that's easy. But Google getting into the gaming industry and trying to do it on its own without partnering with these people who have been here for generations ultimately, ultimately may be the, the, the pitfall of the thing and why they, that, why they had to charge for games is because these producing houses wanted something up front to put in the work to make these games and develop them. So, uh, Jeremy, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Stadia. Do we want to tip our uh, dip our toe in this Twitter stuff here for a second? Do you have a uh, like an overarching take on Musk and Twitter having to go at it again here? Maybe, possibly. Uh- I haven't really read up on what the what the latest is, but I did um, hear that the uh, the bots that he claimed were plaguing Twitter. Uh, they didn't have a lot of evidence that supported that information. All right. Well, I mean, it is a it is a huge news story. But as far as like you know digging into it, I, I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, it, it could be either a really really deep conversation or one we just kind of you know, float by on the surface. And I guess that's probably the better way to do it. So uh, we've got a ton of email questions that we can get into today. I think this one uh, is a pretty general one here. So I'll take a shot at it, Jeremy. I'll let you take a shot at it Uh, or get your opinion on it anyway. Are laser printers better than inkjet printers? That's from Karen and Greenwood. Laser printer, inkjet printer. What do you think? Okay, so this is a fun question. I, I like it when it's, you know, hey, which one, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so it depends on what you're doing and how frequently you print. If you print a lot, I recommend a laser printer. Um, if you're not doing a whole lot of printing, but you still need a printer, inkjets are a good way to go because they are uh, cheaper generally. Um, and the ink uh, can come in color or black and white. Uh, so if you need to print in color, Laser jet is not the best way to go. Um, but if you want strictly black and white and you print a good bit, then I would say a laser jet all the way. All right. Laser jet all the way. Good to know. All right. Um, let's see here. Let me see if I can find another one. Uh, let's see. Okay. That, the one with the Tesla phone, man, that one like threw me for a loop. I was like, what? Tesla's got a phone? Yeah. I well, don't know. All right, let me um, hang on. I didn't number these, so I'm going to have to. Oh, here we go. I've been listening to your program today, and you seem to have missed the leaked rumors of Tesla Pi smartphone that's to be connected to Starlink and also to have solar charging features. A threat to Apple? That's from Martin, uh, who who uh, emailed us 
from Cornwall, Prince Edward Island, Canada. Fantastic. All right, Martin, thanks for that uh, email. Man. Uh, this is intriguing. Uh, do I think it's a threat to Apple? No, not right now, especially. Um, you know how uh, we were just talking about Google getting involved with gaming and that kind of not being their niche, so it didn't really work out for them? Yeah. What is Tesla doing getting involved with phones, I wonder? Um, <laughs> because this is not their niche, not saying that what they contribute to technology isn't awesome, but remember how long Apple's been in the game and what Apple's been bringing to the market. Um, and also what Apple is worth. So threat to Apple? No, not right now. I am trying to figure out what operating system it runs. I would assume it runs some kind of uh, a self uh, modified version of Android, but I can't find any information to verify that. So if it runs its own OS, it's going to be a little while before people are uh, talking about this thing contending with Apple because um, it also has to contend with Android and it has to be a decent phone. Um, just leaning up on the Tesla name is not going to be enough. It's cool that it runs on solar energy. Um, I'm curious to see how all of this comes together. You know, a lot of companies will make a lot of promises about phones, and I'm curious to see what comes. I, I really, you know, speculating devices is no longer fun for me. And I just kind of shoot down rumors because you never know until the real thing is in front of you. And these days, especially with a company like Tesla and some of the products that they've brought to the market, as far as quality goes, I am curious, but not not really. I'm not going to run out and buy one. I'll tell you that. I will be interested to hear what other people think of them, for sure. I think it is interesting, and it's a little bit different uh, than, although it is a good, uh, interesting connection back to Google trying to establish a new way to game. This is a little bit different in that, well, I guess, you know, Martin's question is, could Tesla be a threat to Apple in, in the mobile market? And I think that depends on what your definition of threat is. Um are they going to overtake Apple anytime soon? I don't know. Maybe internationally they might pass Apple quicker than they do in North America. But, I mean, Apple's – their market penetration in North America is is ridiculous. But uh, can they be a threat in that Tesla could establish themselves within the mobile market, uh, unlike Google was able to do ultimately in the gaming market? Uh, and I think – the answer to that is yes. I think they can establish a foothold in the market. Now, what percentage of that? Uh, what position will they be? Will they be like the fourth or fifth? Um, do they do they not want to associate their brand, which is looked at as extremely very high end? Uh, do you not want to be the fourth or fifth mobile dealer in in the country? Those are things that they'll have to answer uh, for themselves. I think one difference is is that while Google was trying to get people to do gaming in a new way, I think Tesla may have an in in that, I mean, if they can make these phones uh, basically like a you know, heartbeat style integratable with the cars, I mean, how many people spend so much time in their cars every day? If, if they can make the phone 
and car experience go hand in hand, unlike anybody has yet, because it is still a wonky experience to use your phone in your car, unless you're just using your phone outright, which is not what we're supposed to do. But if they can make a phone and a car fit hand in glove, that can be a really big deal. And especially with the, the, the growing population of Tesla cars, if that continues to explode, mm, there's, that's a niche that they can dig out. You know, I th- and, I, and I think that that's very interesting, especially if, if you if, if the Starlink thing continues to establish itself and you've got, an, you know, its own independent network that it connects to automatically and you don't have to compete for network space and all this kind of. I, I think while they while they I take your point 100 percent that, you know, this is where companies a lot of times can get in trouble when they, they start divulging their interests and they're they're doing more and more things that they're never done before and aren't good at, uh, or don't know if they're good at or not. I, I take that point completely, but I think there's a couple of hooks that can make this very interesting for them. The thing that Apple succeeded on was the individual cult-like following that they had with their products, because they were bringing quality to the marketplace and they were also bringing something different. So Tesla's got that going for them. I'm not saying that there isn't potential for Tesla to build on this, but do I think that it is a like massively marketplace penetrating type device? No, because it's probably going to be so tied into owning a Tesla that if you don't have a Tesla, it wouldn't be the same as if you did. Yeah. Again, until it's been out for a year or two and people have, you know, identified all the glitches and problems with it. I'm not going to say one way or the other. I'm curious to see where it goes. And I was interested to find out that Tesla has a phone. Yeah, absolutely. It's intriguing, uh, you know, because uh, what they've done um, in the automobile industry right now, uh, even though, you know, trying to push us into automated cars, eh, it's not the right word, Uh, trying to get that to become more of a regular thing has been pretty bumpy for them. But they've still maintained this uh, this product image that's really, really high end. Well, Interesting. Got another email uh, when we come back from this next break. Uh, um, Lightfoot emailed us and asked us about why digital television signals can just like be here one minute and gone the next. And we've we've addressed something like that before on the show. But uh, I I actually uh, this is the one of the year that I I can be able to answer a little bit. I I can't tell you as to why so much. But I can tell you why that or what's going on when that is happening. We have a ton of emails that uh, we are digging through today. And uh, also, we're talking about uh, this week's news in consumer technology. How about this one right here, Jeremy, before we uh, get back into some emails here in just a second? Uh, Goodwill, Goodwill Store, they have now made a website. So now you can start ordering Goodwill products online. It's goodwillfinds.com. What about that, man? All right. I don't know if, like, well, I mean, I don't know if you're, if, if you like to shop at Goodwill. I do. I'm like one of those guys. That goes and shops at Goodwill all the time and finds like amazing stuff that people gave away or whatever, and uh, yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I bought uh, two vacuum cleaners for a combined twenty dollars. Gave them to my kids this week. They still don't know how to do with it, but uh, we'll get there. Anyway, GoodwillFinds.com. Check it out. It's basically like eh, some of the individual stores in different cities have have sold stuff on. Uh, Amazon and eBay before, but this is them going into business for themselves on the internet. Goodwillfinds.com. I'm hoping it's going to work out for them. All right. 
So uh, we had an email that I referenced just before the break. Uh, this is from Lightfoot. He says, this may not be in your area of expertise. The question is why the digital over-the-air TV signal can be very good and then be zero signal within a few minutes. Well, uh, if you live on uh, the periphery of where your TV signal reaches, in the past when it was analog, analog would fade and you could have a weaker signal and a stronger signal and you would know the strength of your signal because you could see it. The thing with the digital signal is that it's there or it's not. It's off or on. There's no, uh, in, in terms of you being able to pick it up, There, there is a strength to a digital signal. But in terms of being able to pick it up and your TV broadcast it to you, either it can or it can't. It's an on or off switch, basically. And uh, however, still, uh, you know, with daytime and nighttime, power fluctuates. And the way that those waves travel over the air fluctuates. When the sun is up, when the sun is down, and depending on the clouds and all this kind of stuff, it's a lot of science. It's way above my pay grade. But uh, in the past, if you had a strong signal and it got weaker at night, or if the weather was a certain way and your signal got weaker when you had analog TV, when you have digital TV, it doesn't get weaker. It just goes away because you lose that. You lose the signal. So it or it can't lock in. So uh, Lightfoot, we appreciate that that email. What were we saying, Jeremy? Uh, so, uh, I was researching this one, uh, while we were doing the, uh, drive time break. And, um, the reason that you will have like a solid signal that then suddenly drops is because your TV can pick up multiple signals and it'll try to sort out which one of those signals is a repeat. And sometimes that overlapping transmission will leave gaps in the signal. So it will produce an erratic or choppy picture. Uh, that comes in clearly one minute and then blacks out the next. There you go. At, that's it. Exact. That is a a very technical explanation of of what I was All saying. Right. And in the past, when it would when it was trying to dig that signal out, you could still see it trying to dig it out. And now that it's digital, if it can't find it, it's not there at all. So that's why um, it just goes all the way out as it was uh, put there. Jeremy, I, I had to Google. I think this is a, this is going to be one. Uh, well, I, I know that you've answered this on the air before. Uh, hi, would it extend long term life of cell phone batteries to plug the phone in when possible during use or when using at 100 percent? That's from Julie. OK, now, I know uh, you, I know you've got strong takes about, you know, when to uh, charge your phone, like charging overnight and uh, things like that. We talked about that very recently. Uh, but what do you think about this one? Um, you will not prolong your battery life by keeping it at a hundred percent. Uh, you would most likely kill it. Uh, I've seen this a lot with clients that will leave their laptops plugged up. It's same kind of battery in a cell phone. So, uh, same kind of behavior. Um, if your battery is always at a hundred percent and it never gets a chance to discharge, then it will eventually stop working because it won't be able to tell where zero is versus a hundred. And so it'll just get messed up. Um, if you leave your device plugged up, you know, for a few minutes while you're on the phone, it's not going to hurt anything. But generally, you should unplug it when you're using it. Um, it's not like it's going to catch on fire or anything, uh, but it could get very hot while it's charging and you're using it. Um, it's totally safe to do it, but it can get a little bit warmer. So the, uh, the warmth... The heat to your phone shouldn't hurt anything. It's the supercharging that is killing our batteries nowadays. So 
if you have a slower charger that you could put your phone on um, that doesn't say eight hours until full, um, that would probably be the best route to go. But I have noticed that newer smartphones used with older chargers, um, the smartphone puts out so much energy that the charger cannot charge it up quickly enough. So you've got to have something with enough amperage to charge your battery up. But you definitely want to run it down to the point where it tells you that it needs to go on the charger once in a while. There you go. Excellently done. Hey, by the way, I wanted to connect this back up. Uh, We talked at the beginning of the show about Google Stadia and uh, Google shutting Stadia down. And uh, I dug up the episode that we talked about that previously, and we've touched on that several times over the last couple of years. But where we first dug into it was our uh, uh, June 13th, 2019 episode, uh, which featured uh, that year's E3 conference, Google Stadia, and uh, Uber flying cars, uh, among other things. But uh, yeah, Google unveiled Stadia. It's rather ambitious new game streaming service is how the our explanation put it. It was rather ambitious, maybe too ambitious, ultimately. Well, no Hard doubt. made it years. I mean, technically, it's not shut down until, Jan- I think, January 18th of 2023. But, I mean, they've already put the nail in the coffin by saying, we're discontinuing this. So nobody's going, no, no sensible gamer is going to continue to use that platform. Right. And their game saves on it because they can't trust it because it's not going to be there next year. So... We talked about this from, I think, a technical standpoint earlier. You are a Stadia user, a subscriber. You paid money for this. You were invested. Literally, we're talking about supporting MPB Think Radio today. You were invested in Google Stadia. So them, them shutting this down, like, what does that, what does that, I mean, how does that make you feel about, you know, the money and time you, you invested in spending this? Well, I'm super glad that I didn't spend a lot on it and I didn't go and purchase any of the uh, premium titles that they had available because I just, I mean, honestly, cloud gaming on my home TV when I've got my PC in there and I've got content already downloaded locally to it just doesn't really make sense to me. But that was two years ago when I was testing it. And now we're talking, there's definitely some application for it. It's still in its infancy but to barely make it three years, it's just, I don't know. It's like Google, what, really? And, and that, you know, to that point, how much must they be losing on this for, because you know, Google knew that, I mean, these people aren't stupid about business, right? So they knew there was going to have to be built-in losses. Uh, I'm sure they had to tell, you know, investors about that. Uh, but still, in just three years, a company the size of Google giving up on this project and just letting, you know, just cutting it adrift out in the ocean, basically, that, that, that is shocking to a certain extent. When somebody, uh, a company the size of Google says, you know what, this is not worth our trouble anymore. And that's what this is. I mean, they're going to try to paint it up you know, in a fancy kind of way. But this is Google saying, you know what, this didn't work. Sorry. You took a L on this one. There is one uh, benefit to this, and it's the fact that, like, if you did spend money on Stadia, you are entitled to a refund. So I I don't know all the uh, steps, but I do know that in the email that I received, Google was talking about the refund process and how it was probably going to take months for it to happen. So if you're invested in Stadia and you are looking to recoup some of your money, you need to look into the refund process through Google because they will give you your money back. 
Now, how about this, Jeremy? This is a, a story that I thought was very interesting. Stadia controllers could become a giant pile of e-waste unless Google issues a Bluetooth update. This could be our, our generation's pile of lost ET cartridges in New Mexico from the Atari 2600. Uh, so, you know, we talked about how Stadia is going out. Uh, Google's also leaving Stadia players with controllers that, while once costing $70, will now do less than a $20 Bluetooth gamepad. Uh, the controllers were custom-made to connect directly to the Internet, reducing lag and allowing for instant firmware updates and sometimes painful connections to smart TVs, although I appreciate them trying. There's Bluetooth inside the Stadia controller, but it's only used when you're setting up Stadia, either with a TV, a computer, with the Chrome browser, or a Chromecast Ultra. The Google Store's page for state, the Stadia controller states in a footnote, quote, product contains Bluetooth Classic radio. No Bluetooth Classic functionality is enabled at this time. Bluetooth Classic may be implemented at a later date. Uh, Bluetooth Classic is a more traditional version of Bluetooth than modern low-energy or mesh versions. That potential later date can't get much later for fans here in stu- uh, of Stadia here. Uh, and many cite the controller's hand, feel, and claim it as their favorite. So maybe this, is, this might be Stadia's legacy as the controller, right? If, yeah. if they unlock the Bluetooth capability of it so that people can use it for anything in the world besides the platform they're about to shut down. Do it, Google. It's the, it's the just upcycle it. Right. I got one of the controllers, and I thought when you said, uh, when you started talking about the controllers, I was like, oh, hey, it might be worth some money. And you're like, it's just going to become a giant pile of e-waste. <laughs> Darn it. Yeah, right. Uh, you could say, I mean, look, that could be, they could at least make some of this money back if they just go into the gaming accessory business. Keep making these controllers. Did you? I mean, how much does a PS4 controller cost right now? Sixty dollars, dude. Yeah, what? Like it's not even the current generation. Sixty dollars, and you know PC gamers are serious about controllers, man. If you can get them these days to not use a keyboard, I don't understand how that works. But that's kids, man. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I hope they do that because uh, you know maybe from a consumer's standpoint, right, Jeremy? Uh, competition in the Bluetooth controller business could be very nice for us gamers, right? Maybe we won't have to drop seventy for a controller at some point. Although I, I really doubt that Google Google's going to pivot to controller development from their Stadia losses. But hey, you know. But they've, already, they've already got it. It's already developed. All they got to do is just put it in boxes and ship it, right? I don't well, know. I'm they, would, they have to keep developing it and yeah. you know make it better and put out the elite version and all that kind of silly stuff. <laughs> right, the uh, digital camo version all right here's another interesting email um good morning texts more often than not when i enter my email and we're not going to say that while filling out forms or what have you it comes up and says in red lettering email is invalid i've been using this email for over 20 years and i just don't know why most contact pages won't accept my valid email address love the show thanks that's from tim this is that's super interesting this is a weird one and I don't exactly have an answer. I sort of have... Uh, but I thought your speculation uh, was really good. I have a suspicion, yeah. Um, first off, we're not going to give the uh, uh, listeners email. Sure. But I will like know that it is short. It is two letters and four numbers. So six number e- or six six character emails, I guess, are not very common. Um, but two of the letters in 
uh, it are T and O. And I believe that because it says two, it is a way of uh, protecting the form from being uh, hacked, so to speak. Uh, because when you when you have HTML on a website, the address that you put in is the mail two, and the mail and the two is together, and then there's a colon after it. I'm assuming that it's some kind of like a protecting from trying to hack the script on the page. That's my assumption. Yeah. Um, it's also short, so that may have something to do with it, although there are people that have two-character Gmail accounts, I believe. Um, so it's it's not the length of it, but I think it's just the fact that it says two. And he said and he's it, had it for more than 20 years, so his, his grandfathered email address is just too smart for these whippersnappers making these web pages these days. Good luck, Tim. Right. Ugh, I don't know what to do with that. I have to make a, another email. Not this one, but yeah. that one at gmail.com, right? Yeah, another one, then forward it to that one. Something like that. Boy. All right. Coming up next week, i got a great story sent to me by Mike Duke, our, uh, our, our radio reading guy here at MPB Think Radio. A story he sent to us about, uh, it's an interview with the last guy who has an empire in the floppy disk industry he's the last guy he's the one that still make them and, and makes them and look they kind of got this uh this uh, vinyl record cachet to them these days making a comeback making a comeback so we got that and a whole lot more to get to including Dahmer on uh um netflix exploding it's one of the top 10 most watched shows ever and we thank you for listening to everyday tech this is an mpb think radio podcast to hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.